continuing our walk through Jude here and uh, talking about dreamers and deconstruction and the inevitable uh, outcome of what happens when um, the authority of, of God is rejected, specifically the authority of God's word and what is said in God's word. Now, you, you may be familiar with uh, the term deconstructing, maybe you're not. Um, you can kind of infer that it's not a great thing uh, just by the sound of it, right? Deconstructing, that can't be right. Like you're supposed to construct things and, and improve and get better, right? But um, I, I want to just for a moment kind of drill down uh, so that I can define for you um, what deconstructing is, and then give you some examples uh, in recent memory of people that you would probably be familiar with of Christians who have, quote-unquote, deconstructed the faith, okay? And um, so, so deconstructing is, um, it's, it's like a philosophy that essentially asserts that no, no real truth can be known only by reading what somebody wrote and sort of by, by uh, criticism of their language and how they, how they said things, can you know what was true for them, but is not necessarily true now. And so the assertion here is that what, what you do is you kind of reflect backwards and, and you're deconstructing uh, sort of a worldview of what existed at a certain point. Now, that's sort of the general idea of deconstruction, but as it comes to uh, Christianity and deconstructing Christianity, it essentially looks like this. People who have grown up in what was traditionally accepted as uh, biblical teaching, a biblical worldview, and uh, at some point have uh, encountered a, a different idea, a different worldview, and for whatever reason, sided with a different authority. So what if that authority is another person, uh, some other literature, like outside of the Bible, or their own personal ideas about the way that things like through experience saying, this doesn't line up, I think, with what the Bible teaches, and therefore, I'm going to walk away. And there's a couple ways that this happens. Uh, one is to walk away very vocally. Announce you're leaving, all the reasons that you're leaving, why you think that the Christian faith is bunk, and uh, sort of criticize on the way out, so you just like, you know, light the match, and there's a big explosion as you walk out. That's one way. But there's also people that stay within the faith, or the visible church, and they deconstruct internally, but they don't, they don't do it in such a way that it's, um, it's so overt that they leave the church. They, they remain within it. And so they're kind of a, a, a presence that creates a, a bit of chaos because they're, they're tensioning uh, people with this challenge of, well, I don't think that's necessarily true, but I'm going to stay here because they, they know, or at least they accept in some, some uh, part of their worldview, that the Christian faith is necessary. Like, so as in like, I think that I need to know God or God is the only way to salvation and the true God of the Bible, but I don't agree with everything in the Bible. So I'm not willing to necessarily forsake God, but I don't like everything the Bible says. So they remain within the visible church. And, um, and so there, that's basically like the two avenues that happen when somebody deconstructs. Now you say, well, um, you know, are, are, what, what are we to do with that? Well, there's some, maybe some familiar names uh, of people that have deconstructed recently that you would know about. So like one being like Amy Grant, okay? So she's like said pretty much, I, I don't agree with what I was taught and the faith that I grew up in and, and sang Christian music and et cetera, et cetera. And this seems to be like sort of a running theme with what was pop Christian culture music. And several, several people who came up in that have walked away, quote unquote, from the faith in a very vocal fashion. Um, another one that is um, 
Sorry, not sorry. So I'm going to say his name. Normally, I would kind of debate whether or not it was worth it, but um, I think it, it shows, it reveals something important. So Charles Stanley uh, was uh, just a historic preacher of the faith. His son, Andy Stanley, is uh, pastors, one of the largest, largest churches in North America, okay? And next, sun, ne- next weekend, in fact, next Saturday and I think Friday and Saturday, he's holding a conference. There's something to the effect of, we need to reanalyze the way that we have treated um, the LGBTQ community and sort of a, an opportunity to, to kind of reformat and perhaps we've you know, misread some things. And so he's doing that, that deconstruction where you don't actually leave and throw the match on your way out, but you're doing it in a way that you're actually leading other people to agree with a faulty worldview, questioning the authority of what the Bible says. Now, um, which brings me to sort of the thing that's in your... Um, bulletin this morning, and it's a QR code. This is a, um, it's, I think it's 53 minutes, and um, so you say, well, do I have 53 minutes to spend? Here's, here's where I want you to watch this YouTube video. If um, anything that I say today causes you to bristle. Now, um, here's what's going to happen. Some things are said the exact same way, but coming from a different voice, you can take it differently. Okay? So Rosaria Butterfield is um, a, uh, a woman who grew up uh, as a lesbian, and she was militant against the Christian faith. She thought that Christianity and the God of the Bible was her enemy. And um, she majored and was a college professor. She had her doctorate in queer studies, gender studies. She was teaching other people about why the, the Christian worldview was wrong and bad. And eventually, um, God reaches her through this, um, through a group of Christians sharing their home. And so she is giving um, sort of a, a retrospective about what, um, what she came up in and sort of her worldview and how she thought about things and how it's wrong. And she says some things that I, I will say, but you're going to hear them differently coming from me. One, because I'm not gay. And the other thing is, she talks about how different worldviews have encroached on the church and sort of clouded our worldview in different ways, one of those also being feminism. So some things that come across is, well, Mitch, you're a man, and you can't say that because that's, you know, perpetuating the patriarchy. Or Mitch, you're white, you can't say that because, okay. So these kinds of ideas have infiltrated the worldview, and she is going to criticize those very black and white. And so I would just commend that to you. If I am all up in your kitchen this morning, just stepping and cooking uh, spicy foods, it is not because I am personally attacking you. It's just because I'm relating the truth to you. And um, it does not matter what, who's saying that. The truth is truth regardless of where it's coming from. And so the, the, the deconstruction is a result or a, an outcome of when the authority of God is questioned. Okay period. So tying back to last week, when God says, this is my design and this is my purpose for the world, here's how things can work and flourish. This is the way I've made things work. And we step outside those boundaries and we decide for ourselves what that's going to look like. There were some examples of um, sort of group judgment or like a corporate judgments. There was the the, um, congregation of Israel in the wilderness. um, uh, And then the other two left me. But they were good, okay? And so the, the, point, the point was, uh, last week they were, they were corporate groups. This week focuses on some individual heirs in the same way. And um, so with that being said, uh, we're going to be in Jude. Um, there's only one chapter. And we're gonna go, I'm going to rewind one verse to, to verse 8, and we're going to get through um, verse 11 this morning. So let's pray for our time in the Word, and um, 
get to it. Father, uh, thank you for your word this morning and um, your authority that you have taught us, um, not just uh, right from wrong, but what is good, what is beneficial, what is fruitful, um, so that we can uh, not just know you, but to flourish in your, um, in your way. Father. So help us um, as we set our, our minds and our hearts to do that, um, to see the way clearly and um, perhaps even see um, spaces and, and times where we're stepping out of your way and establishing our own. And so, Father, I just pray that you would help us to see this this morning and give us um, the means to do that. So equip us with uh, a heart that uh, you've given us by your spirit to receive what's true. Give us eyes to see your beautiful and good ways. Help us to hear the word clearly. And this would all be for your glory. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Okay. Jude, starting in verse 8. Here we go. It says, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh. They reject authority, and um, they, like unreasoning animals, um, understand extinct... (laughs) instinctively. I think I've, I've missed a word there, and I tried to read it twice. Let me start that again. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk the way of Cain. They abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir, and they perished in Korah's rebellion. So we have um, these three examples here of Cain, Balaam, and Korah. And if you rewind, he's, he's reflecting on in the same way, in the same way as what? Uh, of these corporate examples of people who went outside the bounds of, of God's um, given realm. I remember them now. So it was the nation of Israel and then Sodom and Gomorrah and how they transgressed that. And um, the angels who left their proper dwelling place and came and... Um, transgressed God's authority in that way. And so here are some Old Testament examples. Now, the, the, the references here are lost because they're a very cultural, a cult, culturally bound thing. You may, uh, you're, you're probably familiar with Cain, maybe if you read a little bit in Genesis. Balaam, maybe less so uh, if you're familiar with like some kind of weird stories about donkeys talking. And then Korah, like, you're like, I don't know, okay? So these are sort of examples that are lost on us. And uh, so this morning, focus on the, 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 the prefix of what happens in these three examples. It is the way of Cain. It is the, the, um, the heir of Balaam and the rebellion of Korah. So these are sort of um, the, the things that we need to concentrate on. So what is the way of Cain? What is um, the rebellion of Korah? And what is Balaam's heir? And so um, they're rooted in what he says in verse 8. So in like manner, he's continuing to talk about people that transgress God's boundaries, who um, in their own ideas about what's true and, and right and good, um, they rely on something other than God's word. They rely on um, what they say is true. So would you put verse 8 up there for me? It says, in like manner, relying on their dreams. Nope. There we go. Relying on their dreams, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious one. So remember I said um, Jude always likes to, he, he likes to say things in triads, in threes. And so he, he gives three things here, that they defile the flesh, they reject authority, authority, and they blaspheme the glorious one. So let's talk about real quick what he's saying when he's um, saying dreams. The dreams are standing here in contrast to something that's black and white, something specific that's been given, and instead they rely on their own intuitions about the way that things ought to go. Um, dreamers uh, are, are, are all around us. It's just a question of whether or not you will 
default to your own authority or something else. And so this is always the recipe of um, the beginning of deconstruction. It's to look at uh, the, 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 the text that's been given or, or some authoritative word. And then what, um, what Satan introduces in the garden is the questioning of that word which is the beginning of deconstruction. It's like, did God really say? And so that has always been um, the, the question that comes up in our hearts. And it's always something around that idea. Did, is that really what God meant by that? And, and so we find ways to question or squirm around that. And we follow our own intuitions. In doing that, we're called dreamers in this aspect. Um, it, it's it's uh, also not um, uh, a, a, a jump too far. Or it, it follows then that because of um, coming with your own authority and ideas in dreams, that dreams actually frequently result in or are the root of uh, many false um, religions. So uh, the Mormons uh, believe that an angel uh, came and revealed himself to Joseph Smith and gave him uh, a new word of God, right? So a questioning of what was there, he, he replaces the, the word of God that was there with a new authoritative word and says, hey, this is um, some, some new developments, some things that you need to abide by. This angel gave it to him, and Joseph Smith uh, was the only one that ever had access to these, and he was the one that had translated them, so on and so forth. And so the, the Mormon church gets its root in a, a, a dream or a vision of, of one person. comes down to that. Uh, the same thing happens in, um, in uh, Islam, one person has a dream, uh, an angel comes, uh, reveals to him a, a, a new authoritative word, something to add on to scripture, and causes them to say, well, this is something that needs to replace it. And we're warned against this always um, throughout scripture. We're, we're told that, um, that Satan, because he is an angel and was an angel of light, can disguise himself or appear as an angel of light. So people that go, well, I saw an angel and, and they told me this or that thing. It says it shouldn't be uh, a shock to us that, that um, the angel would... That, that Satan could appear in a way that entices us and causes us to be um, deceived to think that this is a message from God, which is exactly what um, has resulted in this, these uh, two, and they're not the only ones, but these two uh, familiar uh, religions that we would say are, are false that have gone against what Scripture plainly teaches. And Paul warns the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1 that even if an angel comes, so that even if someone shows up and says, I'm from heaven, you can see I'm glowing and I have a new message for you. And they give you a new message. He says, don't listen to them and because uh, they're going to deliver a, a different gospel than the one that you already received. And we're told also in 2 Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for a lot of different purposes. And if all scripture is God-breathed, then no part of it is an error. And no part of it is, is worthless or something that needs to be questioned or corrected. Can I say that again? There's no part of God's word that needs to be corrected. Therefore, there's no new revelation coming that, that needs to say, oh yeah, I know that this is what it said originally, but now that you live in a different time and culture, that doesn't mean that. Which, is, which, which leads to many of the errors that we just sort of accept today. It's, it's that, um, I know that's what God said. It's not, did God really say? It's what, but did God really mean that? And so that's our way of questioning the authority of God. So we're, we're told to not receive any new revelation, but to trust in the revelation that's already been given. In fact, the very last book of your Bible, you want to flip there, and the last chapter, the last thing that it says is Jesus' words, if anyone should add or take away from the words that are written in the book of this prophecy, let all of the curses that are written herein be upon them. And he clearly means that in terms of revelation, but you can apply the whole thing to God's word. Anybody that wants to change or tamper with the word of God will be cursed in doing so. Now, 
Um, how is this manifested like in, in our day? Well, in, in, um, in John 6, we see Jesus delivering um, a word to uh, the, the people that are following him. He had many followers at this point. He, he's, uh, in John 6, let me just kind of give you the, the scene, set the scene for you. He's just fed the, the 5,000 people, and uh, he walked on water in between here, and the people followed him across the sea, and um, they, they want to be fed again. They want to see another miracle, and, um, and Jesus is, is trying to teach them that they're, they're not really uh, trusting in who he is because they've asked for another sign. He's clearly showed that he is um, God who's come, but in, um, in John 6, verse 60, um, there's, there's something that begins to change because of the difficulty of accepting Jesus' words as God's authoritative word. The difficulty of accepting um, Jesus as God. So it says this in verse 60. So get the scene. He's, he's, uh, he said, um, you, you don't want, well, let me just read it. So Many of his disciples heard it, and they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And so what has happened is he said, look, you, you think that you want bread that I multiplied, but really what you need is the bread that comes from heaven. I am the bread from heaven. And they're like, what? And so he goes through this whole thing about, uh, it wasn't Moses that gave you the bread. It was God that gave you the bread. And I am now the bread. And so then he's talking about, and if you don't, if you don't partake in that bread, you won't have life. And so they're like, who can, who can hear this? This is a hard thing. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So then Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Because he's essentially said this. Look, I, I am the bread. If you don't have me, you don't have life. And you must partake in me to have life. And so they begin to grumble at his um, assertions of authority about his word. So then he says, uh, what then if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He says, ah, if, what, if you think that this is a, a false claim to authority, what if you actually saw me go back to heaven. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So now he's connecting to that, that he's saying, I'm giving you the way. And, and without it, you cannot have life. So the spoken word of Christ here is the authoritative word. But there are some of you who do not believe because now we get this little John thing where he gives us a, par a parenthetical statement so we can have some insight. He says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who uh, those were who did not believe and those who would betray him. So among the people that are his disciples, they're following him, and now they're demanding a, an authoritative sign, and he's told them exactly what is true, and they say, wait a second, that's a hard word. I don't know if I can agree to that. And now there, there's beginning to be some, some, some grumbling and some defection from Christ, from trusting in him and following him, and Jesus knows who is really genuinely going to trust him and who was not. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This is, this is deconstruction 1.0, okay? The first people that hear the word, and they say, that's a hard word. I don't think, mm, I'm out, okay? And, and some of them walk away, but not all of them who don't like this word, who don't trust this word, are going to walk away because we've already had some insight that Judas is going to remain. Remember I said there's two ways. Some people deconstruct and it's visible. They walk away and say, that's a hard word. I don't want that. Some people remain in the discipleship of Jesus and yet they still don't agree. Verse 67 says, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter said, 
Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Okay? So, whether you like it or not, there are only the words of eternal life given by Jesus. And so if you agree with them or not, there's only, there's only one way. And so this is the exclusiveness of Jesus. It's either you agree or don't. So you're going to go away. Well, who else can we go to and get life? And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. So somebody's still deconstructing even in their midst. And he spoke of Judas, the son, uh, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the 12 that was going to betray him. Okay, so there is the example of somebody that does not accept it and, and then want to follow their own uh, intuitions about what is true or what is right. And we, we, there are people who aren't named, but Judas is. And so he remains there. And so today what that looks like is people that think that they can um, choose what parts of um, spiritual life that they can access for their own good and uh, the rest of it they don't have to worry about. And um, as, as Jude finishes out this statement, Here's um, how he describes it. So he says, the people that are dreamers, um, they defile the flesh, okay? So what he's saying is they find ways to excuse their sin. So just, I mean, if I gave you examples, it would falsely limit how many examples we could give. Just the idea that introducing some kind of teaching that allows defiling of the flesh to be okay amongst the people of God. That's not what we're called to. We're called to, to be holy as, as um, God is holy, and so they, they, uh, they defile the flesh and they reject the authority, primarily the authority of God's word to say this and not that, this way and not that way. They reject that authority. And then he uses this word that to blaspheme and says the glorious ones. The word there is just the glory, doxa. So what is it that he means by, by blaspheming the glory connected to those who subvert authority and they, they reject um, what is true? And it has to... I, um, he gives this example then in Michael, the archangel, and that's in verse 9. So this is, um, well, let me read it, and then I'll talk about it. So in verse 9, it says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they destroy all that they, like unreasoning animals, do understand instinctively. Okay, so... Um, he's referencing here uh, a, a lost book. It's not part of our scriptures. It's not part of our Bible. And, but the story is familiar enough that um, as Moses dies, um, the body of uh, Moses, we're, we're, we're told here, is disputed over by Michael and Satan. And for whatever reason, the dispute is over what's going to happen with the body of Moses. Now, you, you needn't concern yourself with that. The point that Jude is trying to make here is not what actually happened to the body of Moses. What he's trying to make the point of is that Michael, though he stands in uh, the, the presence of God, he is the chief angel, he knows everything there is to know about being face-to-face -face with the glory of God, did not come down and when contending with Satan, presume to pronounce something blasphemous against Satan. So what is he trying to draw a picture of? He's trying to say that um, even Michael does not um, reject the authority that, that, that uh, God himself has put into place and that because of the knowledge that they have of the glory of God, they don't um, go outside of that and assume it and, and, and um, make it common. So here, here's how we can get our arms around this. So what does it look like then to make the glory of God 
common in, in reference to rejecting authority and so on and so forth. Well, this um, happens in, in people today that, that say things like, well, an angel came to me and said this or that. They're speaking about things that they have no mind for. And when they say, Jesus appeared to me and said this or that, that is to speak about the glory of God in a common way. And that is to, to make it something that um, you, you think that you have your arms around. Now, that one, you know, maybe that's not as tangible to you, but how about this? When somebody says, you know, uh, I, I rebuke Satan, okay? Or in Jesus' name, and they say something about the, the demons, okay? So here's the thing. You and I do not have the authority to pronounce any judgments on Satan. Did you hear that? Okay? So when you see people doing this, that is not what... It, it, uh, that's not orthodox. That's not what we're supposed to do. That is to take something they, don't, they know nothing of and to speak into uh, it as though they have the authority that they do not have. And Michael himself did not even presume to do this. He said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you because it's the Lord who ultimately has justice and judgment over spiritual uh, matters. So um, here's some other ways I, I just kind of had for today. There's people that under false pretenses claim things like visible manifestations of the glory of God in some way that is unverifiable. And, or, or that they say, um, you know, by, by listening to them that you can have some kind of healing and they have access to God's ear that you don't have. This is to take the glory of God and, and blaspheme it, to make it common and, and profane it. Um, I was uh, reading about... Um, Bethel Church in California, um, they have some, some zany practices. Here, here's uh, a couple that you would maybe not be familiar with, but something that they practice, and it shows a way that we can, we try to make spiritual matters something that we get our hands around, and, and it's not something we should do. So they begin to, they have, a, they have a school of ministry called the Supernatural School of Ministry, and they practice things called grave soaking, where they go and lay on the grave of some past saint that had some great amount of influence, supposedly to soak up the anointing of that person, okay? That is to blaspheme God's glory, okay? They also have a lady who has, um, has blessed a tarot, a tarot card deck, okay? So that she can uh, tell the fortunes of, of God's people in a blessed way, okay? That is to fraternize into uh, the spiritual realm in a way that you ought not to venture, so have I made that uh, area clear, okay? So he says, if you reject the authority of God's word, if you um, defile your flesh and, and then you make what's common God's glory, then you are going to be uh, finding yourself in, uh, uh, under, under God's condemnation and judgment. And so he's going to uh, move into some examples of what has happened in the past of people who had done these kinds of things. And so he says, um, moving on in uh, to verse 11, which is where we're going to camp. Oh, let me, let me back up just a second. Because in verse 10, he says, like, um, they blaspheme what they do not understand, and they destroy all that they like unreasoning, unreasoning animals understand. And he's going to talk about that. He's talking about this in the way of um, the two understands there uh, don't come through in English. So one is to know by experience and to come across it. And one is to know um, in, in terms of uh, thinking that you are acquiring the knowledge. So he says, 
what they do is, they, they're, they're, by their actions, they're blaspheming what they do not really know, what they have not experienced. And because of what they actually just know naturally, what they follow by their own intuitions and their own um, appetites is leading them to blaspheme. So that's uh, effectively saying there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to destruction. That's Proverbs um, 14, 12. There's a way that seems right, and the things that you think that you know, if you follow those, and, um, and you're, it's leading you to blaspheme things that you do not know about. And uh, so do not follow your own way. Do not follow your own dreams in order to make up your own authority for what you should do. And so he goes to um, three examples of this being Cain, Balaam, and Korah. So we have the way of Cain, the heir of Balaam, and the rebellion of Korah. Well, um, the, the way of Cain is not just the sin of Cain. You would say, well, um, you know, Cain killed his brother. I have not killed anybody, especially my brother or sister or whatever. So, so what is it that we're being warned against here? So let's look in uh, Genesis um, chapter 4 and um, look at the story of Cain in a couple of uh, pieces. And uh, what you need to know is that Adam and Eve uh, were born in, in a state that nobody else has been born in. And Cain is the firstborn into a broken and fractured world. So all that he knows of the world and all that he knows is, is, is of God has been passed down through Adam and Eve, who do know something about sin, who have passed that down to Cain. And um, he's warned uh, of some things that, that give us the insight to know that he should know better and how, what his relationship with the Lord is like. But let's uh, look at what it says, starting in verse 3 of Genesis 4. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, because Cain was essentially a farmer, and Abel was a shepherd. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock of the, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So here's the scene. Cain and Abel, two brothers. Uh, one is a keeper of sheep and the other one is a worker of the ground. And there's been much speculation about why God had regard for the offering of Cain versus Abel. The point is not why did he, but um, in terms of the offering itself, but who was it and how was he approached in the bringing of it? And so um, when Cain brought his offering and did not, it was not regarded, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, Will you not be accepted? That's an important line there. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, then sin is crouching at your door. So um, Cain has to know something of sin because he's being warned that sin is waiting at his door if he does not do well. And if he, uh, if he doesn't, uh, if he's not aware of this warning, he, he, um, it says it's, de it's desire or sin's desire is contrary to you and you must rule over it. So what's going to happen is if Cain isn't aware of this anger that's risen in his heart because he did not do well, then sin is going to overtake him. And it's going to take him down a place that he doesn't want to go. Ultimately, that's exactly what happened. He goes, and because of the anger he has with his brother, he goes, he says, hey, let's go in the field. And then if you know the story, he murders Abel in the field. And then God comes to Cain and says, where's your brother? And the famous response, what am I my brother's keeper? So there's a little... Uh, play on words there because Abel was the shepherd. And so he says, am I the shepherd of my brother? And the, uh, the answer is yes, you are. And he, he, he obviously God knew that um, Cain had killed Abel. And he said his blood is crying out from the ground. Well, why did, um, why did God regard Cain's offering and not Abel's? Well, in Hebrews 11, we don't have to speculate. We're told why. 
In Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Um, you need to know that this was not a sacrifice for sin. There's a specific word that is used in the Hebrew for, for a sin sacrifice. This was just an offering, okay? Just an offering. So, so the stuff that Cain had brought, the first fruits of the ground, or the fruits of the ground at least, were an acceptable offering should he have brought them in a certain way. And Abel had brought the first fruits of his, his work, his labor, which was um, the sheep and the fat portions. And so it says, by Abel offered a, uh, to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift, and through faith. There's the operative um, idea there. Through faith, though he died, he still speaks, because without faith it is impossible to please God. So here's the idea. Abel had brought an offering to God in faith. Cain did not. Cain's offering did not involve faith. So whatever that looked like, um, there's speculation about because it says over the course of time, uh, Cain brought his offering. So perhaps he delayed. He didn't bring actually the first fruits of the ground. He, he brought something that was left over. You, didn't, you need to concern yourself with that. The way of Cain is this. To, to do a perfunctory form of religion, that means it's like an empty, it's, it's a rote, I'm going to follow the, I'm going to do the motions, but there's no faith behind it. So he performs or, or offers this sacrifice, and there's, there's no heart behind it, and God knows that. And for, uh, however that's shown, likely by God actually consuming the sacrifice with fire or something, Cain knows that he has not done well. And God points it out to him. Well, Cain, had you, had you done well, would you not have been commended? And the rhetorical answer is, of course. But now that you haven't, sin is waiting to overtake you. And if, you don't, if you're not aware of it, it's going, it's a, sin is personified in this case, but sin isn't a thing. Sin is our own desires uh, that are wayward and following those. So Cain's warned against it, and it's going to rule over him. So Cain's approach to worship God was not under God's authoritative word. He had already given them directions through his parents, Adam and Eve, about how they should offer their goods to God. And Cain decided on his own, following his own dreams, his own intuitions about how he's going to offer his sacrifice to the Lord, and it was not accepted. So faithless, empty religion is the first part of the way of Cain. It's, 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 a, it's a way of pursuing God that isn't really pursuing God. It's, we're warned in the New Testament that there are people who practice religion, they have a form of godliness, but there's nothing underneath it. There's no substance to it. And so the way of Cain, first of all, starts with that. Cain was not interested in God's commands as the means of his acceptance. And that's the only way that we have for acceptance. Jesus said that. If this is the only word that you can trust in. Furthermore, when Cain, um, Cain's own doing, he, he pushes it off onto his brother. He's upset with Abel. And so often what happens is we look at somebody who is accepted, somebody who is doing well, or who seems to be very happy following God's word, and, and there's no you know, rebellion there. And they look at that, and they're upset about it. And so whether it doesn't have to be literal murder, you can murder them in your heart by hating them for it. So this is, this is what I see in, in deconstruction. Somebody doesn't like what God's word has to say about some authoritative manner, and they say, I'm going to walk away. And then they look back at the church, and they curse everybody in the church because they're so stupid and whatever else, because they're jealous of the fact that people are just following God's word without this uh, rebuttal. And this is the way of Cain, to um, hate a, a brother or hate somebody else for doing well, and even though they've done nothing other than be faithful. Well, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible. So bringing something to God without faith 
And then leaving and hating somebody who did bring it with faith is only more further condemnation on you. There is a way that seems right to us. We think, well, can't I just do things the way that I want to do them? That's uncomfortable. I I don't want to abide by whatever it is that uh, seems to be a a cultural, you know, misstep or something that we don't want to toy with. And, And so people walk away and decide to do things in their own way, and that's not accepted by God. The way of doing that ultimately leads to death and destruction. So the way of Cain is to practice a religion of your own, your, your own making and worshiping a God of your own imagination. Now we have um, the heir of Balaam. This is a, a character that's referenced a few times. His story spans a couple of chapters in the book of, of Numbers. Um, it essentially can be uh, boiled down to um, his mention in the book of Revelation. So in Revelation chapter 2, we have this. Jesus speaking to uh, one of the churches, uh, and he says, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. So, so Balaam was a prophet. He wasn't uh, necessarily a prophet of God, but he was aware of and familiar with the authority of God and God's word. And so um, he's contracted, if you will, by um, Balak, another king of the region of Midian, who wanted to curse the, the, the nation of Israel. And so he's, he sort of got um, Balaam as this mercenary prophet, and he wanted him, he, was gonna, he said, I'll pay you, just come curse the people of Israel. So this is the role that Balaam plays in this moment. So he puts a, uh, a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have those... Um, who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, therefore repent. If you do not, I will come soon um, and war against them with the sword of my mouth. This, the sword of, uh, God, uh, of Christ's mouth is the word of God. So he's going to pronounce judgment on them, and that's an important word because that sword makes an appearance in the story of Balaam. Balaam is the guy whose donkey talks to him, okay? So what happens is he, he's... Uh, he's He's contracted by Balak, who's a king. He says, come, pronounce a curse. And uh, God says, don't go with them. And so he says, first, I can't go with you. And so they leave. And then they come back, and they ask again. And Balaam says, uh, he he inquires again of the Lord. And the Lord says, go with them, but do not say anything uh, uh, that you're not supposed to say. And so he goes with them. And on his way, uh, that time, he's riding his donkey. And the the angel of the Lord, that's Christ, uh, pre-incarnate, is standing in the way. And only the donkey can see it. And so the donkey turns aside and Balaam ends up beating the trash out of his donkey. And the donkey rebukes him because of it. And the the angel of the Lord had his sword drawn. And so eventually Balaam makes his way there through a series of um, pronouncing blessings on them. He's finally cajoled into um, giving Balak what he wants, which is a way to curse the people of Israel. Because eventually he says, look, I I can't do, I can't pronounce a curse on them because God has blessed them. And so long as they're obedient to God and they're his people, there won't be a curse on them. And the only way that he has to curse God's people is to get them to sin, to to step outside of God's word. And so that's what is being referenced there in Revelation chapter 2, that um, Balaam taught Balak to put a, a stumbling block. And so he said, look, get your finest women, have them go down to the camp of the Israelites and have them fraternize with them and they'll commit sin and then God, God will judge them for it because they'll bring condemnation on themselves. And so the heir of Balaam is to think that um, you can uh, uh, speak for God and not incur um, God's, God's judgment or teach other people to do the same, to question the word of God or to abuse it in some way. 
Um, Balaam is the example of the power of God's word at work when we're obedient to it. When the word of God is spoken and it's abided, it gives blessing. But there is a tragic cost to neglecting and abusing the word. And God brings curses through Balaam and through others um, when they step outside of it. The word, God, the word here stands as a warning to us. The heirs of Balaam is mixing the world and sexual immorality with religion. The heir of Balaam is, is mixing the, 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 the world with the, the congregation, with the church itself, and sexual immorality. So the last example we have then is the rebellion of Korah. And this comes um, in uh, number 16. Numbers uh, 16 says, um, as uh, the congregation of Israel is uh, in the wilderness, Moses has been appointed the leader. Aaron is um, the, the head priest, and Moses is uh, obviously the, the spokesperson, the leader. And a, a man by the name of Korah and um, his uh, uh, cohorts uh, rise up against the leadership of Moses. So in number 16 here, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far for all of the congregation are holy. So he's looking out and he says, look, everybody here that's a, that's a Levite is holy. God is among us. So he's essentially, um, he doesn't like the fact that Moses has risen above them in leadership. Every one of them and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? So he's challenging the authority of Moses, and he's saying, Moses, you've taken a right that isn't yours. We're all the same. Can I say that again? He says, look, we're all holy, and there is no real leadership of the church in terms of we should all do the same thing, and so we're all the same in function. But that's not true. God said, I have a certain group of people that I want to serve me as priests, and among those, there's a leader, and only certain people serve in the high priestly role, and only certain people do certain things within the temple. So there was a specific structure, and Korah himself did not like that. His rebellion was against the leadership of the congregation, against the spiritual leadership of the people. And so Moses, later on in verse 28, says, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been on my own accord. So essentially what happens is a showdown is, is um, enacted. Moses says, if you are chosen by God, then you bring your incense to the Lord tomorrow and uh, you get all the people that you think uh, should also be leaders. And so he does. And so he gets 250 uh, guys around him and they go and they bring their incense into the congregation. And what, what ends up happening is uh, the earth opens up and swallows up uh, Korah and all those who followed him. And so the rebellion here is against the, the leadership within um, the congregation, or specifically the leadership within the church. Now, this, is, um, this can either seem very dicey or self-serving, and it's neither. I, I am not the quote-unquote leader of the church. Christ is the head of the church. But Christ has made a structure, an authoritative structure within all of the spheres of government that we have. You have a personal sphere of government, there's a family sphere of government, there's a church sphere of government, and there's a civil sphere of government. And he has said, this is the way that um, by design, things can flourish. And so he's appointed pastors and teachers within the church and elders who serve the body by giving help and guidance and leadership. And Hebrews um, 13 says this, obey your leaders. Now, this would be a problem if it was obey the leaders because they're setting the course. It's not, that's not the case. The leaders are doing their best to follow Christ. So in the example that they set, obey them in doing that. Why? Because 
Um, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will give an account. I give an account for every word that I speak up here as a teacher, an account for the way that I lead, what I, what I say is air and what isn't air. I'm held to a higher standard than anybody else who would just attend the congregation normally. So it, it's, a, it's a dangerous thing to presume. He says that not many of you should, should be teachers, okay? So it's, it's a higher standard. And the point is this, we're, we're given not to lead by our own designs, not by our own dreams, but by God's word. God's word is the authority. And we're doing our best, or my best at least, to present that to you and say, this is what God's word says. And then we all follow that together. And so I have watch care over here. So I'm charged with that. So let them do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would give you no, that would be of no advantage to you. Deconstructors, the first question, the word of God, they revile those, um, they hate people that are faithful. They're, they're jealous of them. There's an anger built in. And, and they leave and they, they don't like the leadership or the authority of not just the word of God, but those who are in authority. And they're always welcomed with sympathy by those who are on the outside. Um, when, when Korah rebelled, it wasn't just Korah that rebelled. It, he found sympathetic ears and those who said, yeah, we should also be able to do this. We should all, we're all just the same. That's not the way that it's presented in Scripture. That's the way it's never been that way. Um, they have no reservation um, displaying their um, lack of care for God's established authority, whether it be God's word or God's leadership. They coalesce, they come with their own little priesthood that they've mocked up together and said, we're going to, we'll do this uh, however we want. And so they bring their own incense in and their own censers and they're swallowed up and Moses ends up um, using their censers. He melts down all the gold and it covers the ark as a reminder to the people of who God has said uh, is really the authority. And so they always go down and they're always... Um, done in by their own pride. So here's um, the warning of this section. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not all pick me up here, and I, I, I apologize, but I don't apologize. I apologize that I don't have like some chipper thing, but I don't apologize that there's, there's things about our worldview that causes us to bristle when we hear what Scripture has to say about something. So I can't apologize for times where um, it says that um, the elders and the pastors are uh, um, supposed to be male. And you might not like that. And that's uncomfortable for me to say. But what you need to see is that's more a result of a feminist worldview that has infiltrated our way of thinking. And then following our own intuitions about what equality really looks like, we say things that, well, we're all just the same. The same in value does not mean the same in function. The same in value means that, yes, God values men and women the exact same, but he does not, we don't function the same way, going back to design of last week. And so there's roles and structures and places that we're supposed to abide by, not because we, we don't think that there's another way we could do it, but because this is the way that God has prescribed for us to do it. And so the, just hear me as humbly as I can saying, we need to... Um, be very careful about when we object to something that we read in God's word and say, well, that applied then, but we're more enlightened now. And whether that has to do with the structure of the church or how we look at um, homosexuality or gender identity or any of the other things that are popping up now, 
It's, it's, it's difficult for us to stand fast, but listen, this is exactly what is called for at, at every point of the rebuke. It's, it's, it comes back to God's word being trustworthy and being our highest authority. So this is where I'm asking you to, to plant your um, flag this morning and to plant your feet. Like, there's a way that seems right to your intuition and to our, you know, cultural thoughts about how we could stay out of trouble. And I don't have uncomfortable things up here, okay? That's a way, but it leads to destruction because it's inviting people to then just question different parts of the Word of God and say, well, we can just question it here. And then it, that, that ends up always snowballing. There's never a, a hard place to stop. And so it's, it's all or nothing, so whether you deconstruct um, visibly for all and you say, look, this is a hard word. I don't want it. I'm leaving. Or you stay within the congregation. You just deconstruct quietly and bring other people down with you. It's always going to end up in the, the, the same thing, which is that you're, you're not bringing faith to your sacrifice to God, which is I, I trust God's word to know better than what I think is best. And so um, these are the warnings that, that Jude gives us so that we wouldn't fall into condemnation. We wouldn't transgress God's boundaries for us. So next week, he's going to move to um, the last section of the warnings about ways that we have let the um, culture sort of dictate to us. And so I'm just going to, uh, in, in conclusion, remind you. The week one, the, the call was to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. It was, it was finally given. There is no new revelation given. There's no, there's no adjustments to it. It is a, a sealed body of truth. And then last week, you weren't called to remember, but you can't remember what you don't know. And so you're supposed to hearken back to the examples of judgment, of, of going outside of God's good design, and that we're supposed to pass those things off to the next generation and teach them about God's good ways and not just say, do this, not that. So there's a design, and the, the, today we're reminded to understand that God's word is authoritative in all ways. And, and so as we are moving next week, I would encourage you to hear um, the same things that I just said, even more bluntly stated, um, just watching um, that video. It will be good for your soul just to hear somebody else um, give that from a perspective where they came out of that. Because we tend to think, well... Um, how difficult is that? And what does that look like? And how do we, how do we call sin, sin, but not um, push people away? And she gives an excellent um, explanation of how she was brought out of that. And so, uh, again, I commend the YouTube video um, to you.